You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. The reason why our society has a sort of disgust towards this type of incestuous relationships is a byproduct, I think I mentioned this last week as well, of the effectiveness of the Torah system. Now, the Rambam then said a side reason, which I didn't really develop as much last time, and that was there's another element involved, which is, besides the fact that we want to restrain people from that tendency, and that's going to be better for the world, we also feel that certain acts are just arrogantly brazen. And that, he says, would have to do, as he says here, with... um he says, Midas Haboshes, a mother, a daughter, um, or anything that's really connected from parent to child or to grandparent, um, that is an arrogant, ugly thing. So, it's, and, and even if the person involved is not a direct child, it's still connected. As he says here, in other words, let's say your stepmother. Okay, your stepmother. And now your stepmother, let's say she's a trophy wife <laughs> and she divorces uh, your dad. She's still usher to you, right? And the same thing is true with. A, a, a daughter-in-law who has been divorced from uh, your son. Why? Because it's all connected to your father or to your son. As he said, it's like shorish va'anaf. And he says that at the bottom of the line here, va'achim ki shorish va'anaf. And brothers are also, in a way, like a root and a branch. I want, to, I want you to see this language and remember it because it seems to be a very popular one, as we're going to see in another source today, this idea of branch and root. And therefore, he says, when kasher nesra achot, when sisters, uh, brothers and sisters are usher, so what's also usher is uh, a, a, a mother's sister and a father's sister. Why? Because the idea is a sister is like the person themselves. So therefore, it's like, once again, what's wrong with, what is wrong, as he says, between a, uh, a, 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 um, a aunt, an aunt, the wife of, a, of, of, of an uncle? Because he says, with her, it's almost like you and your father are brazenly connected. And that is, that is his idea. And that's like a shorish v'anaf pagam kaguf echot. Now, and that's the reason why, obviously, he says, this is all the Rambam speaking in Meredith Bukhim. This is also why you have achos ha'em. You have the uh, the the sister mother's sister. Why? Because a, a sister is like the person themselves. 
So therefore, it's like the mother. And uh, your, your father's sister is like the father. Now, all of that can be acceptable. This line that I'm starting to bold right here, here the Rambam knows he's on shaky territory. I didn't emphasize this last week because we're sort of running out of time, but I want to go over it here for everyone's uh, (laughs) elucidation. Because the Rambam knows that even the prettiest theories have messy exceptions. Let's take a look at this for a minute before uh, we review the Ramban's critique. The same way a cousin is not Osir. Okay. And also a niece is not Osir. Hmm. That's a cousin, right? The daughter of your father's brother, your first cousin. Vilo bas achos ha'av. That would be your niece. Cain lo nesra bas ha'ach. That's why your nephew's wife, right? Let me read that again. I'm sorry. Cain lo bas ha'ach. That's also the niece. The low bas ha'achot, that's also a niece. That's all hekesh echad. Let's read it again. bas The same way a cousin isn't aser, and that would be a cousin from two sides, either a cousin from your father's brother, a cousin from your father's sister. In the same way, came lo nesra bas ha'ach, the low bas same way a cousin's not Osir, so a niece is not Osir. Hekesh Echad. It's all one idea. Now, those of you who just heard what I said are probably saying, what? I understand the cousin, but didn't the Ramam just say a couple lines before that, that connecting to a sister of, of, of a parent is like the parent themselves? So Lachora, what's going? The Rambam here can't deny that one is allowed to marry one's niece, even though it would seem that the niece has bonded with the father in this way, right? Now the Rambam puts it in perspective of the the man. The man is saying, "Oh, who is this girl? Oh, she's your brother's daughter. Well, that's not us, sir. The same way you could have married." The same way you could have married your father's brother's daughter, you can marry your brother's daughter. There seems to be a clear difference between the two, and he actually contradicts himself. I started tonight showing you this idea of how brothers are like the parent. Well, if that's true, as far as the niece is concerned, isn't this like having sexual union with her father? And yet... The Rambam sort of says, no, well, the same way you could have married, you could have married uh, your, your, your uncle's daughter, you can marry, uh, your, you can marry your father's, I'm sorry, you can marry your brother's daughter. Again, the Rambam seems to be, again, all of us who are listening here 
probably noticed that this is obviously not only different conceptually, the Rambam himself said a couple of lines earlier that a brother is like the parent. Okay, that's one problem. Now the Rambam sort of makes things worse. Because now, <laughs> let's see what the Rambam says. Amnam hiyos achia'av mutter be'eshes ben ochev. Okay, so let's say we're talking about the um, a. Uh, let's, I'm going to give them names to make them easy. Okay, forgot what names I used last week. But let's say we have um, Menashe and Ephraim are the two brothers. Okay, now, so you have Menashe and Ephraim, and let's say the children are going to be Yair. And um, and um, uh, Kolev, okay, Menashe and Ephraim, Yair and Kolev. So Hios Achi Haav, all right, Mutter Beishes Ben Ochiv. So let's say Menashe is the unmarried brother. Ephraim has got a son, Yair. Yair has a wife called Devora. Okay? So now, Menashe is Ephraim's brother. He is Mutter Be'eshes ben Ochiv, the wife of the son of his brother. So that's Yair's wife. Yair's wife, Devora, once, if Yair divorces her, if Yair dies, can marry Menashe. But, ben Ach, but let's say Yair had never gotten married, or he's married and he wants another wife. He's Osir Be'eshes Achi Aviv. He's Osir to Menashe's wife. Let's say Menashe was married, and let's say Menashe was married to Leah. Menashe dies, or who knows, Menashe divorces her, Yair cannot be connected to anyone Menashe was married to. But why can Menashe be connected to Yair's wife? Right? Menashe can marry Yair's ex-wife, but Yair can't marry Menashe's. What's the reason? It would seem that it should go both ways. So here is another issue. So the Rambam says, it's clear Remember the Rambam says there's basically two reasons in the structure of Arias. One is, as we saw, about reining in the people that are close to you. So the people that you would have normally wanted to have relations with, we are, or could have, you would have naturally been inclined to, we're going to clamp down to turn you into a different type of person and change society. The other is about Busha. So in terms of the, the I guess, the, the sense of Busha, they're sort of the same, right? They're exactly the same, right? Um, yet, in, in, but he says, the reason why it's true is, ki ben ha'ach nimtzauro v'beis achi aviv. A nephew always hangs out by the uncle's house. 
I think everybody here is an uncle in some ways, uh, or has been an uncle. And you know that your nephews are always hanging out. And they connect to your wife as well. They hang out at your they hang out at your house. You're the uncle, you're the blood uncle. And they look at your wife as their aunt and they're always hanging around. And, and it's almost like the same way if brothers are very friendly, the same way brothers, uh, married brothers, uh, brothers who aren't married hang out by their married brother's house and get to be very close with their sister-in-law. Therefore, we needed to make it also. Again, we needed to make the nephew usher with his aunt, meaning someone who was married to his uncle, because he hangs out by her, and it's natural for them to have a relationship. However, it doesn't go the other way. Uh, Menashe doesn't usually hang out. If, if Yair has gotten married and now has his own wife, Menashe is probably not going to be hanging out by Yair's house. He usually doesn't hang out by his his uh, his nephew's house. With uh, with your ears wife, that's what we called her, Tvor, I think. Um, um, right? He right? He wouldn't be hanging out with her. So the Rambam says, I've explained it. The Torah didn't have to make it austere because it's probably not going to happen. And the Torah only wanted to uh, come down hard in places where it would have been, uh, it would have happened more often. I point out these, I, I went to the, to the trouble of reading this to you to show you how creaky this whole explanation of the Rambam is. Um, it, it fails on many levels. It's logical, but it really, in a way, uh, is, is very unsatisfactory. Now, um, the um, I should tell you uh, one last thing before we uh, go back to the Ramban. Uh, the Rambam says that And this is going to be uh, very relevant to what I wanted to get into. The Rambam says in this line on, on page seven. The Rambam says it isn't just sexual encounter. There is an issue to have to derive any benefit from someone who's an erva to you. Any sort of enjoyment from their beauty, from their presence, from their smell. Even just by looking. And you're not, and you're looking because you just like looking at her. The Rambam here in Moranavuchem repeats his principle, which we're going to see often. That the what is also from the Torah isn't just a sexual act. There's an iser from the Torah 
It isn't just a frumkite. It isn't just bad behavior or inappropriate. It's also from the Torah to look at the Erefa. There's no kares there, but it's all included. And we'll see where the Rambam gets that from. And he says, um, okay. There's another Isser from the Torah, which the Rambam uh, develops from the Nishmartem Mikol that there's an Isser in the Torah to just think about the sex act. There's an Isser from the Torah to have, to start fantasizing. Um, and then, as you can see, and also to bring a man to bring himself into a state of sexual excitement. Now, the Rambam says, if that does, if it occurs, you didn't want it to happen. The Rambam says, and he repeats this often, there's a very easy response. And this is where the Rambam, one of the things the Rambam felt Torah was very crucial for. He says, a person can clearly bring his thoughts to something else. Akoshi. In other words, think and learning. Well, he doesn't say what it is yet. You'll see in a minute. If this manuval... Now, let me step back for a minute. We are reading from the Rambam in Murunavuchim. Um, one of the things which I want to try to elaborate in this, uh, in, in these shiurim, is the Rambam was an expert in Talmud. But the Rambam was very selective what Talmudic sources he quoted. And, and, and I think this really gets into a very large issue, which is, what did the Rambam feel about Jews studying Talmud intensely? Did he want it to, like, would the Rambam be happy if he would see the amount of effort that goes into Dafyomi and how many Svarim have been written on Gemara, and is, is, is the, the intense involvement of learning Gemara for the masses something that the Rambam believed in? My, uh, I would say, based on the Rambam's own letters and from his Sefer, but from his letters as well, that he, he felt that for the standard person, for the average, what we call balabas, really there's better options for you than to be studying Gemara. He really felt that it was a brilliant, incredibly important work. But he was, in a way, trying, really, despite what he writes, to supersede the Gemara. He really felt that his work could take the place for many, the learning of Gemara. When he does quote the Gemaras, he's very, he does not, you know, the Ramban, we're going to see, especially I hope I get to tonight, and I know I will, I'm going to push myself to, is going to take the Rambam to task for his, almost for his, uh, his primitive um, 
readings of the Gemara, of not getting what the Gemara is really after. And, <laughs> you know, the Rambam, if you look in his Truvas, he quotes Gemaras all the time. But in his Meir Nebuchim, and in other places, he's very selective. And he says like this, he says that, um, he says, what has he just written? He has just written that humans are sexual beings. If they find themselves sexually excited without them really, they didn't really expect it to happen, then what you need to do is, you know, is, is to basically calm yourself, right? So some people will say, you know, think about uh, all, your, uh, all your baseball cards that you had when you were young, right? Or maybe what you should do is, is, is think about all the different, how all the different lesions and infectious diseases looks, right? I don't, I don't know if it's Joe or Kathy, but think about how, you know, how plaque looks on your teeth, right? All that stuff you could think about, and that'll kill it. But the Rambam says that um, the Chachamim say, they came up with a beautiful marshal. If this maneuver has got you, take him to the base of Medrash, Mashkela base of Medrash. And whatever he is, Barzel, Nimoach, Evan, Misbotzates, if he's, if he's metal, he'll melt, a stone, he'll shatter. Because that's what Torah is. Torah is the Aish. So, and therefore, who Omer libno? It says bini im poga Person is like talking to his beloved child. Kesha tiskasha. Oh no! Like you know, like you know, it, it bothers me. I'm, I'm just so sexed up. Like, and it hurts me. You know what you should do? Leich lebeis hamedrash. Well, you know, um, go to the base medrash. Tikra. Read, chalok, make a difference. In other words, read a pasuk, read what the idea is, figure out a distinction, get into an argument, sha'ol, ask a question, and people ask you questions, and all of a sudden you're involved in this intense, subtle, exciting activity. So you'll see, yosir mimchoakei Now this does not mean the way it appears to me that, and I don't want to be graphic here, that the person is like, you know, in a Viagra state till he gets to the base medrash. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that he is upset at himself for being a hound dog. He's upset at himself. Why am I like this? Why do I have this? Why do I? So the Rambam says, go learn. Learning involvement in the base medrash, thinking about the Torah and an intellectual idea, there's no doubt that that will make you forget. It's not just that it'll. This isn't just thinking about lesions, an alternative to thinking about lesions and wounds. What this is about is a way not to be upset at yourself, because you are now experiencing the greatness of the learning of Torah. And therefore, you're not going to even dwell on the fact 
yeah, that's what we are. We are bodies and we can, but your learning experience is going to erase that from you. And that's why Chazal say, Menuvel, because that's the greatest way to say it. It's because that's really, a, 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 it's really an ugly, like that's the Menuvel part of you. But you know what? Go into the base Medrash and you'll see you're not going to be upset with yourself anymore. Now, some of you who were here last week or might have heard this year last week might have already sensed the pattern of the Rambam's uh, sense of what Kedusha is and, and what the best type of human being is. And you might wonder, you know, is the Rambam based on the Torah directly, completely from the Torah? Let's look at the last paragraph on page 7. It says, This idea of going to study and how study is such a crucial thing and how it changes a person from his natural tendencies now, this is the type of statement that uh, brought, you know, put the Vilna Gon in conniptions. In other words, the Rambam is like saying, look, what I'm telling you, which is this very pithy comment of bring him the base madrish, and everything I've told you about the idea you know what? The philosophers say the same thing. As if, you see, I must be right. In other words, if the great philosophers say it, then that's really the impression this translation of the Maranavukum gives you. That somehow the philosophers really got it right. And now the Torah is in the lockstep with the philosophers. Um, now, let me step back for a second. I'm definitely going to develop the idea of the Rambam's um, influence, the influence that that was that bore upon the Rambam from Aristotelian philosophy, and specifically, as we know, I don't believe the Rambam read Greek. Uh, you know, you can ask um, uh, your friends there in in in, in Chicago. Um, um, He's going to be upset that, I, that I'm blanking on his name, but you know who I mean. Um, um, the Rambam, as far as I know, did not read Greek. He's, his, his, his introduction to Aristotelian philosophy was through the Arabic translators of Aristotle. They did a great job, the Arabs. And as you know, um, Scott Alexander is who I was talking about, yeah. Okay, so, but Scott or Yaakov Abramson, they'll both tell you, they'll both confirm what I'm saying. The Rambam did not read Aristotle in the original. Here's my point, though. Um, there's the, the Arabs, Ibn Sina and others, who translated uh, Averroes, Ibn Rashad, these were all Aristotelian thinkers, they, and again, I, I don't want to turn this into a history class, but it, it's important to know, they were trailblazers because they wanted to turn a very violent, earthy, 
religion into a sophisticated philosophical one. What I mean is Islam. Islam had spread, and most of what spread Islam was the sword and a very bare bones understanding of the ideas of of the Quran and Islam. There was not much in the actual Quran that went into the explanation of how the religious experience works um, and how uh, a prophecy it works. So the Arabs, that's a bad term, the Muslim philosophers, and whether those are the Mayachadin or the, um, the, uh, any of the other subgroups of thinkers in Islam, they basically used, and again, I, I, I know I'm going over familiar territory here, but they used uh, the Aristotelian approach with their own twist on it to explain the Quran, to explain prophecy, to explain God in the world, to explain what God wants from human beings, to explain how a soul could have eternal life. Um, So the Rambam read these philosophers and he read them with a fervor. And in fact, the Rambam in the Hakdama to Moranavuchim, the third Chalik, writes clearly that even though he read them from the Arabic sources, it's clear to him that Aristotle and the other Greek minds were really in possession of the Torah or the ideas of the Torah. And this is a a sort of a a famous, I'm not going to call it a fairy tale, but it's a famous historical um, (laughs) story that explains that really the wisdom of philosophy was really a wisdom that the Jews expounded. And Shlomo HaMelech and others were really uh, the, the, the first articulators of what later became Greek philosophy and Arabic philosophy. In other words, the Rambam understood that it isn't just, hey, Aristotle says it too. Aristotle to him represents another source of the wisdom of the Torah. Now, Aristotle definitely put his own impressions on it. And the Rambam felt he was able to, you know, uh, solder away the parts of Aristotelian thought that were foreign. But he actually believed that he found in Aristotle and found in Arabic thinking the true ideas of the secrets of the Torah. And when he, for example, is now contrasting Chazal. He just quoted a Chazal to you. The Rambam is on record for saying Chazal, Medrashim are pithy, um, poetic ways to say what the philosophers said in a much straightforward way. And therefore, the Rambam felt a great elation when he could find a Chazal that he was able to give a philosophical explanation for. Because he thought Chazal, and again, this gets into 
a very elitist <laughs> approach that the Rambam believed in, which was that the real wisdom, the deepest wisdom, is in a way hidden from the masses. And it's only people who deserve through their struggle and developing intellectually and morally who are able to get the true ideas of what the Torah means. And Chazal in their Midrashim spoke about it in riddles in a, in a, in a way that the, the, the initiated would know. The ones who understood it would say, oh, that's what, what it means. Whereas everybody else would hear a beautiful story and nod their head and say, tell me another piece of Agadita. This is, again, part of the Rambam's elitist approach, which is that most people never really get it. And the philosophers spoke it out very straightforward. This book that you're reading, that we are reading from, wasn't meant for the masses. This book, Marnevuchim, was meant for someone who had already developed up to a point that he was ready to hear the philosophical truths of the Torah. So that is why you shouldn't be surprised that the Rambam says, hey, and Aristotle says the same thing, right? Because look, didn't I, I've shown you what Aristotle wrote when he said, this the, the sensation that the body gets excited and, and is energized by physical sensation is one of the embarrassing things about being a human being. And that element in your body is what brings you to look for that extra uh, that extra helping of kishka to, to try to go and get a, a deep dish to be involved in, 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 with the wrong, with more, to going to, 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 to the gentlemen's clubs. And people, of course, that are into that, Aristotle calls them chosim. And again, we're looking at this and saying, who cares? Rambam, why are you even mentioning Aristotle here? It's almost like, but in the Rambam's way of looking at things, yes, uh, that is really, in a way, Aristotle is a proof that he's getting it right. Okay. I, I think it's worthwhile making this point because obviously the Ramban does not share, the Ramban did not read those Arabic works and he was not of a piece of them. Um, and he had a very different understanding of, 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 of what, uh, Aristotle and, and other Greek thinkers and other Arabic thinkers believed. Okay. Now, um, and then he says over here, you'll take a look, you'll find this in Aristotle's book, Sefer Hamidos, which meant, you know, you're going to have Aristotle's book on ethics. So everybody has Aristotle's ethics. So again, it's again, like I said last week, it's very important to go back in time. And, and, and again, we look and say, what the heck was he talking about? But this is important if you really want to um, understand it. Okay. Um, I mentioned that we, we did the Ramban last week. I know we're going over some of the same material again, but I, I am doing it, I think, a little bit more in depth 
And I hope uh, you're okay with that. Because um, I think I've made some points I didn't make before. The, the, the Ramban does not um, uh, quote the Rambam in full. He just believes that there's a very great difficulty with the Rambam. We talked about it last week because the Rambam didn't say you can't marry 20 wives, according to the Torah. We're not talking about Kain Rabbeinu Gershom. A person can be as sexually active as he wants with a whole bunch of different wives. And uh, therefore, the Rambam's idea that this is a way to limit a person sounds backward because you, can, you still have those options available. What the Rambam would answer is, well, but you've got to go on a date, uh, you've got to go find her, uh, you've got to send flowers, you've got to go on J-Swipe, whatever it is, the Rambam has an answer, but the Ramban's point is still a very solid one. The Ramban's reason behind the Arayos, he, he, he sort of, he's in two, he basically is straddling two ideas. Let's go over that one more time. It has some great secret, and it's part of the Sod Ha'ibur, Shekvar Ramaznulo. There's something to do with the Sod Ha'ibur. I mentioned this last week, um, the Sod Ha'ibur that I've, I've already hinted at. Um, he joins the Rambam in the next sentence to saying that obviously being involved in 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 this type of behavior and being count and going into you know being a Jeffrey Epstein like person is obviously something disgusting and terrible and even if it's not Jeffrey Epstein it's 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 all it's definitely something which which should not be done and obviously this isn't a behavior that's only meant to produce children and it's what doesn't produce children is what is usher um, now. This is the straddling. On one hand, he says that it's a secret and is one of the great secrets of creation that he already hinted to someplace. And then he says that the idea is, is that sexual activity that doesn't produce children is what is called zima, because all it is is the bad thought, because it's, it's disconnected from keeping the, the species alive. And then we had to trust the Ramban that he was right in the fact that he said that most of the relatives that are mentioned in Achremos and in Kedoshim are called She'er, She'ero, and She'er means Hanishar meaning there's nothing there. All there is is the leftovers. Nishar, it's share, it's a body, but there's no child. All it is is a child without anything else. It's like the sadness that nothing really grew from that. I mentioned last week, Tay-Sachs and other types of things, other sort of genetic issues. That's what share means. Okay. But then he says, Arias Arachukim, Shem Gzeiras HaMelech. So he basically has three points. First of all, he says that it's connected to some great secret that he hinted at. Second thing he said was, it's, these are relationships that won't work. 
if a child lives, the child will be ill, the child will die, there's something wrong with the child, it's not really a, uh, right? And the third thing he says is that at the end of the day, this is what God rules. And as I said last time, he knows what it's about. And it's only like a king who has his closest advisors. They're the ones that know. Kissinger knew what really Nixon was thinking. Other people didn't. So we have to, the Kissingers, the Mekubalim. I know Lahabdo, I don't know if anybody's ever compared Nixon to God, but that is the idea here. The people that were closest to God, the ones who really know his inner working and thinking, they're the ones who can understand what's really it about. We can't. That's basically uh, the Ramban's uh, approach. Um, he repeats it here when it comes to uh, the Isr Nida, and he says Nida is also something which you really, during a woman's menstrual cycle, uh, pregnancy can't happen. If it does happen, it's a very uh, dangerous pregnancy and it won't work. Um, that's what he says. Even if she could become pregnant while she's menstruating, um, the, 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 it'll, the child will somehow suffer. Again, he goes into medieval uh, medicine of that time of what it would be. So that is basically the Ramban's consistency as far as that goes. Now, last week, after we stopped recording, um, Charlene asked me a question about um, uh, children, uh, families who can't have children, uh, people who are um, sterile and other things. And um, I gave my answer. Little did I know that this was Charlene's question, a different form, was a question that was hurled against the Ramban from Rabbeinu Bachya. So I know I've sort of... uh, We'll take a couple minutes just because it was a question that was asked. I want to show you that, Rebecca Bach, if you don't mind. So in order to do that, I'm going, I hopefully I'll be able to do this okay. Let's take a look. I want to show you that from Rebecca Bach. Here. So in order to find that, I'm going to, here we go. I have it right here. I'm getting better. Somebody gave me a Mac a couple years ago, and I have two PCs, but I know we've got some Mac people out there. The, the Mac is definitely much easier. Here's Rabino Bakia from, um, and I'm just going to, uh, I want to be able to, just single page. All right, here's Rabino Bakia. I'm not sure if, uh, okay, here's Rabino Bakia. Here's Rabbeinu Bachya on the Ramban. Now, I know this is Rambam versus Ramban versus Rambam, so I'm sort of like taking a little left turn. Uh, But and this is not in your source sheet. But I, since Charlene, since you brought it up last week, I wanted to uh, I wanted to make note of it. Bachya, let me just uh, say something which is important. Bob and others know Ramban is not always the easiest to figure out in his commentary what he wants. Um, And often the best way to know what Ramban means is to learn other Rishonim who paraphrase him 
and quote him. And I could quote the Ramban too, but I'm a nobody. But Bachia was a student of a student of the Ramban. Bachia is only two generations removed from Ramban. So when he quotes the Ramban, the extra words and ideas he puts in are probably closer to what the Ramban means. Another person who rewrote the Ramban's commentary on Chumash is uh, uh, is is um, Yaakov, the son of the Rosh. Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the Rosh, the Tour. The Tour's commentary on the Torah is basically the Ramban edited out of the deeper Kabbalistic sections. Very nice commentary on the Torah. I I I, I heartily endorse it, but it's basically the Ramban. But he fixes the Ramban's language. Um, I heard from, I believe, one of the smartest men I've ever met. Um, and I, Joe, I don't know if, if you're listening or Catherine, if you were there when he spoke in Ortora, Chaim Salvechik. Chaim Salvechik is Rav Yashaber's son from Boston. Professor H-A-Y-M Salvechik. Salvechik. Okay. Uh, Chaim Salvechik said that the Ramban was had difficulty writing. <laughs> In other words, he was an incredible, incredible, incredible brain, but in many ways, he was stilted. He had such brilliant things that there was a certain stilted aspect of his writing. And in that way, people like Bachia and the Rosh are very helpful because they really bring out, they punch out what the Ramban sometimes means. Okay, so don't think Kivalevich is somehow bringing something in from left field. Bachia is crucial to understanding the Ramban. So, and I always look at Bachia. Whenever I, I'm not clear what the Ramban means, I always go to Bachia and see how he places him. But over here, he actually disagrees with Ramban. Take a look at the bottom of the page. A Petsuadaka is someone who is unable to have children. He was in a motorcycle accident and uh, he, uh, you know, he, he, he's able to walk, but he's got a little less baggage. And the reason is, is because he can't, he, he's not able to, he's, got, he's had his testicles crushed. Okay, that's a Petsuadaka. So that Petsuadaka can't marry Bekal Hashem, but he is able to marry a convert or uh, a, um, a, a woman who had been uh, a slave girl who had been freed. And he says, <laughs> So you can see, now Charlene, I mentioned to you once a couple was married, of course, God wouldn't say they can't have relations once they become old. But Bachia says, well, what about a guy? It's not a fault of his. He's a young guy. But, he, but doctors have determined he cannot have children. Why is he allowed to, to get involved and be married in this activity? He's marrying a nice Jewish Gioris. He's marrying Rus, right? He's marrying Rus HaMoaviyah. He's marrying, we love Gioris. And yet, this man can marry her. And, and Bachia repeats it in uh, Dvarim, where he says, 
he can't marry Kal Hashem. He can't marry a Kohen, a Levi, or Israelis, but he is allowed to do his thing. So that is his argument with Ramban. You see that it isn't just about relationships that are going to work. So basically, I'm not going to do it tonight because I, I think it will be... Um, then, he go, then he quotes the Rambam and he uses the Ramban's argument against the Rambam. But then he says, I'm going to explain to you what Arayos are about. And that's what he does here in this paragraph. I can send it to you. Um, if it would be 20 minutes ago, I would have done it. But I got into this whole Aristotle business, so I'm not going to explain it. But he has his own angle. And this is interesting, that he rejects Nachmanides. And even though I would have said up until, you know, before I, they're in the same school. This is the Kabbalistic school of thought. But here we see Bachya goes out on his own. And basically, now, could be that's what Nachmanides meant when he said this is one of the secrets. Bachya has his own explanation. And uh, it's a beautiful one, but I think it's really not our topic, which is Rambam versus Ramban. Okay. This circling around that we're doing here, um, I'd like to go back to to the source sheet and I'm going to, uh, for tonight, those of you who did Section 5, give yourself a gold star. Those who did Section 6, I'm very proud of you. It's not easy. 7 is also great. I want to do Section 8 with you for tonight. That's on page 23. See if we still have any people with us besides Bob and company. Yeah, you guys are still here. All right. One of the things that we see from the Rambam's last quote was a sense of the human body's feelings is one of the, the, the ugliest things a human being can have. The body's sensations are a cherpa, it's manuval, right? I want to show you a parallel to this idea. The Rambam needed to write a, uh, a, tr- a very long letter. It's almost like an op-ed, you know, that uh, a political candidate would have to write to explain why uh, 25 years ago he wrote something that sounded like it was racist, right? So he'd have to, he would have to write a whole essay giving you the background. The Rambam as brilliant as he was, the giant that he was, was not, he was, he was in some ways turned into a deity in certain places, in North Africa and in Yemen. They used to say a Kaddish mentioning the Rambam's name, right? Yatzbach Perkone Vikoriv Mishiche Bachaye Rabbeinu Moshe Ben Maimon Rabbeinu. In other words, they would pray for Mashiach. They didn't think the Rambam was Mashiach, but they prayed for Mashiach in the lifetime of the Rambam. That was a nusach, the standard nusach in, in Yemen. To, to, right? And in fact, again, it was almost to the point 
that they couldn't even hear anything else. But on the other hand, the Rambam was assaulted, assailed, even in Alexandria, which was a city very close to Fostat, and definitely in, 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 in France, in Germany, the Rambam's farm, as we know, eventually were burnt, but the Rambam was assailed for, and, and we know the Raivad said, because the Rambam, when he describes Olam Haba, describes Olam Haba as a world that exists after our lifetime. This is not a world to come. It's a world that's right here, right? It's not a world that's going to be in some future. It's not going to happen in the year 6,000 or 6,000 something. It's not an apocalyptic future. Olam Abba is right now. So the problem was, is that even in his Yud Gimel Ikarim, which he wrote in his Hakdama to um, Perak Achelek in Sanhedrin, in the parish of Mishnayos, he does not describe Tchiyas HaMesim. He says, Tchiyas HaMesim ha'inyan kvar mavur. But he doesn't give a paragraph describing how bodies will be resurrected. And therefore, people felt that the Rambam, even at the age of 30, had already revealed himself to be a denier in Tchiyas HaMesim. So once again, he was on record in his book that he wrote when he was 30. In the book that he wrote when he was 50, in Hilchas Yisodiyat Torah, he didn't have descriptions of Tchiyas HaMesim. He only described what Olam Haba was, and he didn't describe it there. So it became almost common knowledge that the Rambam was a kofer betriyas amesim, the way we understand it, that the body comes back to life. So the Rambam had to write what's called the Igeris Trias amesim, or Maimer Trias amesim, where the Rambam had to say it once and for all, what he believes, and why he didn't describe it earlier. Cynics will say the Rambam was engaged in a Pelagia. I do not believe that's the case, but I think it's important to see what he says about um, about why, why he never spoke about the body, and why the body, and again, before we get to this, the Rambam says, Tchiyas HaMesim is a miracle that's going to happen. And he says, maybe it'll be in Mashiach's time, maybe it'll be later, but then all the people that are brought back to life are going to die. Tchiyas HaMesim is a miracle that he says will definitely show how great God is because it has never happened before. Maybe by Yechesko it happened in some sense. Elisha did it a little bit. Eliyahu did it a little bit. But the idea of mass people coming back to life, not everyone, but it's going to occur, and then those people are going to come back to life. They're not going to be zombies. They're going to be actual. They're not going to, going to, they're going to really tread the earth and live, and then they're going to die. And that's going to be an incredible miracle that people who have, have died have come back. But that ain't, that has nothing to do with Olam Abba. And there he says, Ainbo Metzias Gufos. The Olam has no bodies in it. Right? Because Chazal say there's no eating and drinking, there's no sexual relations. So 
why should the body, which is all about that, the body is the means to take in, to feel, to procreate. Why should, this is illogical, that a body should be part of that world to come. How could there be a body with Atola for no reason? God should, it would be ridiculous. What is the body doing there? It's all about what the soul, let's say it's about what the soul was able to work at. And life is tough to work, to become an intellectual, to think, to become a philosopher, to become a tzaddik, to become a chosid. What the heck is your body doing there? He says, you think he's going to have a mouth and a stomach and a liver and genital organs and he's not going to eat or drink or there's not going to be any procreation in the world to come? So what is the reason for that body being there? It's completely it's completely irrelevant. And therefore, right? How could anybody disagree and say, oh, the body is going to be in the world to come, right? You know, as I've said many times, um, and again, um, you know, I see Aaron's not here, but I think the three of you are here, remember, right? Um, a little bit of uh, Cat Stevens, right? Oh, my body, it's been a good friend, but I won't need it when I reach the end. That's from Miles from Nowhere, from Cat Stevens. Meaning, the body was there, it helped me, yeah, but I'm not going to need it. I'm not going to need it at the end. It, it serves no purpose in all of Who could argue on that? He says, Ella, right? Who's going to argue on that? Someone who has intellectual proofs from Pshute Adroshos, meaning he saw a drosh that sounds like there's a body and he said, look, oh, here's my proof. That's what you, again, very sexist comments. This is what you would tell women in the Shiva house, right? Yeah, the body's going to, yeah, this is what you tell them. A very, uh, this idea that, 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 that there's a world to come and that the bodies are going to come back. Yeah, you're right. You look at the Chazal, it sounds like that there's bodies. There, but you know, it's not true, okay? This is what you tell, this is what you tell you tell people who aren't, sorry to say this, people who are in a, a state of emotional um, distress and they're the women in the base of El, you could talk like that. <laughs> I, 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 Charlene, part of this class is to be honest with the material, okay? I, I said at the beginning of last week, I'm not going to dilute anything, all right? You, you want dilution, go to Barrel Wine, go, go to Art Scroll, go to any of the places that you want for a dilution. Kivalevich is not going to dilute things for you, all right? Next. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you parallels to things, which I don't think anybody else would do, but I'm not going to dilute them, right? Now, the Kvar Sosar, Misha Sosar, Daitainu Zeba Omru, look what they said. Moshe and Elio, they didn't have to eat or drink, and they were bodies. In other words, we're going to be like Moshe and Harsina. And Elio Anovi, who didn't eat for 40 days. He beat the Ru'u. Think about this. Moshe, Elio, Aleyam, Elisholem. 
it's not like their, their hands, their genitals, their mouths were Uvatola, because they were still living in this world. Okay, before the miracle occurred that they went to Harsinai, Moshe had a snack before he went up, okay? Elio Anovi, yeah, he did spend 40 days. God miraculously made it that their bodies did not have to eat. And that was a miracle, yes. But that was not their new normal. That was something that occurred for a special reason. How can you compare this to something that's going to continue? In other words, from Moshe's 40 days, Elio's 40 days, you're going to bring a proof to something which is eternal beyond time that the human body is going to be there. So, in fact, how do Chazal speak about it? How can you say that they should be for no reason? What is the body? The body is basically uh, an instrument for the soul to do its work with. And none of those works, none of those mitzvahs happen in Olam Abba. Yes, the body was a good friend, like Cat Stevens said. You needed it. But none of those mitzvahs are going to happen in Olam Abba. They don't understand what it means, how, how ridiculous it is to feel God would create and have something that has no purpose. That's like, it, it, it's, it isn't just, there are two things that's pushing the Rambam. One is his, his sense of what the body is. The second thing is, how can you think that it's illogical? There's no way God, it's God, the creator. He's, he can't have something here which is purposeless. Okay, so here's the Rambam, I believe, in a way giving us, I sort of jumped to Om Haba to give us a sense of where he puts the body in, right? In other words, yeah. So the more you're you're removed from the, those physical sensations, again, we'll see next week about about being somewhere in the middle, about where that comes in. But this, I believe, is important. Let me just end here with the Ramban's critique on this. Uh, the Ramban says that the Rambam doesn't get it about the body's role in Olam Abba. Uh, <laughs> in other words, the Rambam is of the opinion, the Ramban is of the opinion that, that, that the body needs to be in Olam Abba, but what sort of body is it going to be? The idea that, yes, it's, it's, it, it will Will it still work and function the way our bodies work? No, but it will still be the body. And part of the reason is is, is the difference between the Ramban's understanding of what the soul is and what the Rambam's understanding of what the soul is. So this machlokus is really a bit of a, a larger debate as to the soul and what Olam Haba is, and what is the the uh, schar, the what schar the soul gets.
for its work in this world. So this is all really a piece of the same structure. So, Mir Tashem, next week I'm going to go back. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.